Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 384th episode of Constructed Criticism. I am your ready-to-go host, Mason, joined by my always-prompt co-host, Abe. Abe, how you doing? I think this might be a repeat on me always being prompt. And the last but time maybe I was on late. late. What? Uh, yeah, then, then I was like, haha, it was a joke. Uh yeah, it's strong. kind of the same bit though. Uh, sometimes I mean, you've been doing it for so many episodes; it's got to be hard. It know? is so hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got that. I got this new ring light for the podcast for people on YouTube. We don't have Spencer this week. We're down a man. The feng shui, the vibes are off, but we're gonna do our best to correct that and have a good episode this week, as we are doing a modern episode because we're gonna be breaking down modern, heading into not Grand Prix, Grand Prix Vegas coming up here in just a couple of days that I'm gonna be yeah, I'm pretty excited for, and we're gonna talk about that and. Uh, I don't know, maybe Abe, you can trick me into talking about a little limited at the end. A little, who knows, it's part two of it. Who knows, maybe? I, I do like limited. Oh, this format? I don't know, man, I have some hot takes at the end of the episode, stick around. Yeah, we'll see. Well, but first we knew, need to do Always Improving, that is the point of the show. And Abe, what's your Always Improving moment this week? My Always Improving moment this week is that I have spent, actually, like, it kind of was a little bit of a rabbit hole I fell into watching YouTube, like, months and months ago. But I got really into and really enjoy listening to, like, beatboxing and watching beatboxing competitions and, like, jams and videos and stuff. And so I was like, you know what? I spent all this time consuming this content and listening to this music right now, uh, especially when I'm, like, playing Magic Online or just, like, working on things or driving around. I should, like, you know, maybe try to make some time and, like, understand it better, try it out myself, look up some tutorials, see what it's all about. Uh, and so I've just been, like, diving into the basics of beatboxing, which is really, really cool because I think beatboxing is really cool. And otherwise, it's kind of weird. I definitely had to, like, sanity check myself and ask some of my friends. It's like, hey, is it, like, weird to just, like, decide to pick up this thing and just start doing it? And they're like, yeah, I don't know. Do it if you think it's cool. And so that's what I've been doing. And it's been really awesome, really cool to just, like, start from the bottom and, like, really examine things and work through, like, a process in my head of, like, what's my routine going to be like as far as practicing and what are the things I'm going to practice and what's my, like, goals and setting goals and all that for, for the long term. And so it's been really fun. That's that's my always improving. Awesome. How about that's you? Great. I love to hear that. My always improving is I'm working on a limited a lot this week. You know, we have Grand Prix Vegas coming up. And while I am planning to play Modern on Friday, and hopefully we'll do very well on Modern, so I will not need to or be able to participate in the Crimson Val sealed format, uh, I didn't think it was worth my time to, you know, I had like six-ish draft tokens, I had a sealed token, spent a little time doing some drafts and doing a little extra than that, and just trying to get a good feel for the limited format, so that if I do decide to pull the trigger on actually doing the limited at GP Vegas, I'd be ready to go, and I'd actually have some experience instead of having to, like, run around, talk to everybody, get some impressions on cards, I actually would have some first experience stuff outside of just, like, you know, content type things that I plan to read as well. So, I, I did, like... I don't know, seven drafts, six, I guess, technically, because there was the arena bug. But, uh, you know, I've done that so far, and I plan to do a couple more beforehand. And, yeah, it's been good to hop in there. I've really enjoyed this limited format so far, at least the draft portion of it's been fun. Not outstanding or super special or anything yet, but it's been good. And it's also been nice because I've tried to do things that are a little outside my normal range. Like, I, I very typically will do a lot of, like, combat tricks and removal and just kind of, like, efficient creatures or whatever. But I drafted, like, a bunch of, like, kind of weirder decks this format. Like, I drafted, like, the blue-green, like, self-mill archetype on purpose and, like, tried to, like, seem like it was open and go for that. I've tried a couple times to, like, pivot into, like, the green-black toughness deck, but, like, had to bail on it and just stuff like that. Where normally I think I would have, like, a lot of 
blue, black, and like uh, red, white aggressive and trick stacks. So yeah, it's really important always. Like especially when it comes to like preparing for a seal Grand Prix. In my experience, uh, as a bit of a limited guy, has been to get a feel for like all of the cards and how playable they are through trying a bunch of different things and. Especially like, you know, sometimes taking an unknown rare or an unknown uncommon and trying to build around a synergy that might be there. Really important. If you do wind up playing that Grand Prix, not Grand Prix Grand Prix, you end up playing the sealed event. My number one tip to everyone, if you want to like really just level up your limited game, is to just do a little bit of sideboarding. Just think about like what is my worst creature, my worst removal, my worst combat trick that they're gonna play around, and just find the best card in your sideboard against the cards that you're having trouble with out of their deck do a little bit of that and like 95 percent of people just don't even think about it at all and the first time that you like draw that plummet or you have that extra like you know six drop when the grindy games or the mind rot when you're on the draw and they just can't do anything about it you feel like a genius yeah it's awesome it's uh it's gonna be super cool and hopefully i get to do that and then next week when we come back and record this episode or the next episode i'll be able to talk about how smart and handsome i was but even more importantly i hope that modern goes well, so I don't have to play limited. But I've done I've done a little work, you know. I've been uh, prepared now. Gotta um, be prepared. Yeah, I'm gonna listen to Sam Black's podcast. A little drafting archetypes on here, you know. Get a little feel for the cards, even though it's draft first sealed. It's gonna be good. I'm really just actually preparing for day two of the event because I just know I'm gonna open great cards in day one. Why wouldn't I? Obviously, <laughs> that's gonna do it for our always improving segment this week. We are about to go into the main topic, which is modern. But first, we do want to. Give a shout out once again to the Patreon. We did the rebrand everything for the Patreon, all the new tiers and everything. So if you want to check that out, you can go to patreon.com slash CCMTG. Gabe, we have a Patreon question that we get to do. Ooh. Yes. And our Patreon question is, how do you approach new standard formats? And I think this is a little interesting. We get this one like a kind of a fair bit, right? Like it's kind of a big topic, especially with the release of Crimson Val. And I, I'll kind of start things off here where wasn't like Crimson Val and standard it's looking like there are going to be some cards that are going to impact things. I'm curious how much the decks really change, you know. At the time we're recording, this is actually Sunday, so the standard challenge hasn't ended yet. And it looks like people are really big on Holebreaker Horror and the blue-red decks. And the, the war on the street is maybe you cut your Alarans and you play that in Lear as a control deck. You take over the game. And so uh, I look for stuff like that where it's like, okay... Are there things that we can do to upgrade an archetype, specifically when it's like, you know, we're into like the first couple of days of stuff, and look for powerful things in that area? So I'm really looking to see if we can upgrade the blue-red deck, I'm looking if we can upgrade the green deck, looking if we can upgrade decks like the Praz deck that had moments of being strong but it kind of fell off. Uh, same for the Bant deck that we saw at the SCG Con kind of do well. I've experimented with that a good bit, play a lot of Thalias and that sort of deck. It's been pretty impressive. And uh, yeah, I look for that sort of stuff. I do keep an eye out for more of their cards to push archetypes that were not really seen up into the main stage. And while I haven't seen too many of that yet, it is kind of hard so early on into things. I agree with you on a lot of that. I think that I try to approach things with, like, a brand new standard format, like, from the start, like, where we started with Crimson Vow. I tend to try to look at things from the top down and go, like, what is the best thing I can be doing? What's the biggest thing I can be doing? And then kind of just, like, figure out the structure for it after, right? Like, if you remember... A few months ago, it was like, wow, Aloran's Piffany and Eskis Chariot are the two best cards in the format. You should be playing one of these and figuring it out, right? Because figuring out the rest of the shell, pretty easy, and you'll get a bunch of your wins at first just by playing the better stuff than everyone else who's still kind of catching up. To introduce new cards into the format, I like to go from the bottom up. So I go, okay, what's the best, you know, 
40 something cards or like you know i guess like 20 something spells like what's the best support structure for doing something powerful and standard uh, and then how do the new cards kind of fit into that? So, like, seeing people move away from Alan's Piffney, a card that was obviously very strong, but kind of has been hated on and targeted for a while, and moving towards this big creature that, you know, can't be countered and doesn't get taxed by Thalia, and, you know, these creatures like Lear and a bunch of cheap removal spells, that plan just kind of seems like it works and is working off of the back of Unexpected Windfall being such a strong a strong way to get that burst of mana you need to cast these big haymakers. So things like that, you know, I'd look at what's the best way I can build around probably the same stuff, a Seeker's Chariot, all, but but look at the cores of the decks that are current, that were existing at the end of the last format and see how you can improve upon the really good stuff in there rather than looking at the best stuff in the new set and how you can fit it in on top, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it's important to, like, think about, like, the blue-red decks for, like, Alrens is the way to win the game, and it does a really good job at like also keeping you alive. So it kind of mix and matches there, but it isn't like you have to be an Alrens deck, you know. Like it's only three or four cards in the deck. Yeah, the rest of the deck, if you can do stuff that fits better or whatever, it's gonna be important to look yeah. at that. So it's about the whole plan. Yep, best things change. Well, hopefully that answers your question. Uh, I know we we get that question kind of a lot, especially when the formats first kind of roll over where a new set gets added. So hopefully that was helpful. Let's move on to Modern. So, Modern has experienced some changes. We talked about Modern about two-ish weeks ago now after SCGCon, and we talked about it about a week and a half before, two weeks before that. So, we're kind of doing a little bi-weekly Modern check-in with these episodes. And in the time that it's been since that first big Modern deep dive, which was just Abe and I, things have changed a little bit, and some new decks have popped up and kind of some stuff. But we're kind of going to just work through the format and talk about it a little bit, and a lot of, like, um, where I'm at and what I'm thinking about and what's going on there as we're going into the weekend for Modern. So it's going to be uh, pretty interesting. Uh, we probably have to start off with talking about Money Pile decks, right, Abe? I think that's, like... Yeah, I, I mean, I think aside impact. from... For the, the quick little rundown of what we what we talked about uh, on our last Modern episode, which you can go and check out, uh, you know, obviously all of our podcasts are free. Uh, you can go... Go listen to it if you haven't listened to that one yet. It'll be caught speed where we are now. Hammer Time, Blue White, Is It Merc Tide? These are all incredibly popular, powerful decks. I think that all of those are great. Um, there's like Jund Luris and Grixis Luris now, like the, the Grixis Shadow deck. But the newest real edition of the format at the last time we left off was this Money Pile deck, which is kind of like a four-color value Yorian deck uh, with like an ephemerate and pitch spell like pitch elemental plus ephemerate or eternal witness plus ephemerate loop with teferi uh time raveler and renin six and just trying to be the biggest value engine with yorian it can be to just outclass everything else and, and have inevitability in all of its games where that has kind of developed to now is that beyond this uh this one like more pitch spell and creature based archetype uh, that plays a lot more of just the raw value cards like Eternal Witness and Ephemerate. They've moved down to a more condensed 60-card version playing just the good stuff. Just Renin 6, Teferi 3, Jace. Just more of like a blue-white deck with access to these other colors uh, for the powerful stuff like like Ren and like 
Expressive iteration. Yeah, like and expressive iteration especially. Yeah, that, that's kind of like the two paths the deck has taken. Both have been putting up a lot of results on Magic Online. It's kind of hard to say, for me anyway, without having played a ton of matches with either yet, which one is really edging it out. But I think that's like probably the biggest singular format development that we've seen in the last uh, last couple of weeks. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Mason. No, it's not much. Just the, yeah, the four color the like money pile as they were decks have really kind of risen up and this idea of like we are able to stop everything our opponent is doing in the early game and as long as we do that it's kind of about who has the better end game and the games are kind of moving towards that so we're gonna be playing cards and things that enable that goal and the 60 card deck is kind of like an escalation in like this arms race against the 80 card Yorion piles because the 80 card ones have a bit more things of air, like Spreading Seas or Ice and Coatl. It's a good example. And like the Ewith Ephemerate uh, cards are actually kind of like a concession to needing to end the game. And they're kind of like just good sort of with the other stuff going on. And so it's like a way to rebuy our pitch elementals. But they're not inherently like over-the-top powerful. They're just kind of good. And so you have stuff also like the one time warp in the deck to like enable these things. So as a way to go over the top of even that, you'd go down to 60 cards and just kind of like try to condense and draw the better stuff sooner and like a little less nonsense in your deck you just try to lock up the game a lot faster i think and in the way that that matchup plays out heads up yeah exactly and so it's kind of like this like escalation and like arms race type thing that's happening and they all have merits and have different spots where they're better than the other ones um and they give up stuff in different areas and it's pretty interesting and it's really showing how resource dependent and fair and grindy the games are in modern and we have some results and stuff from this past weekend especially with the showcase we're talking about here in just a little bit that are kind of actually showing that to be very true but even though that not being what won which is kind of an interesting point but um yeah modern is in like a really fair place right now like it hasn't changed that much and it's really a lot about trading cards and resources and kind of like a legacy light manner where like there aren't too many combo decks that you like can't super beat the ones that do exist are like hyper focused hyper linear and don't even always get there and that's the only way they can exist is by doing that sort of stuff and doing things like playing main deck blood moon and so we are kind of in a really weird modern format where like things like blue red murktide are good and they're like good decks but they're like not the thing to be doing anymore because the money piles like overpower you and things like hammer like prey on you and then you kind of have to, like, you, like, beat up on the combo decks, but it's kind of hard to, like, beat up on that. And we saw the rise and fall of Azorius Control this time, um, too, which is the big thing before we move on. It's, like, Azorius Control rose up to stop a lot of things like Hammer. Uh, like Hammer, or like, Blue Red Murktide, like Jund. And they have just been overpowered by the four-color decks. And the four-color decks kind of, like, really eat the lunch of the Azorius Control decks. They're, like, a really hard matchup for them. They just can't really overpower them they don't have the tools and so we've seen that deck rise and fall so that that deck is like kind of good but like it has these problems with the four color deck but there, there's just like a lot of different elements and modern's like a really healthy place and the metagame seems really fluid is the long story short yeah i think that like the real thing that happened to blue white i think is that the new four color 60 card deck is doing a lot of the stuff that blue white wanted to do and like was accomplishing but doing it a little bit better because of the fact that it's just playing the better cards. But I, I do agree with you. I think that kind of the rise of combo is a show of how fair the format is overall. The Previously, the most combo-y deck was just uh, like Hammer Time. 
and people uh, like like and that's even just kind of like infect you can interact with that well solitude is a great answer there but the fact that so many games are about what's happening on board has given room for belcher to rise up and given room for living in to continue to yeah yeah for for living in it's just hard for people to dedicate so many slots to everything and uh all of these decks all these decks have kind of carved out a niche of being like i'm going to go and circumvent all of this nonsense of oh you're a four color value deck that's fine you can have as much card advantage as you want i'm going to do something that completely blanks that i'm not going to play on the board at all because you're going to solitude loop me over and over again i don't want to do that instead here's a goblin charbelcher or uh here's me yeah here's me blood mooning you so you can't do anything do do you like these culture decks because this is the biggest thing so like at the time we're recording this it won the showcase yesterday it won the challenge today Belcher is definitely having a hot weekend. How do you feel about that deck in the format? I think that as long as, like I said, the format is about people trying to interact with what's happening on the board, it is going to be in a good good spot. I think that as people adapt the decks they play and adapt the way they build their decks to handle these things, like one of the things that I thought coming into like the modern metagame out of the Invitational was that Mill would be really good because naturally Mill is a deck that's good against the other good decks like Hammer and just all of the Luris decks in general, but also just goes so far over whatever whatever the four-color deck is doing by just having this inevitability that doesn't really involve what's happening in play. Like you will just mill them out if you can interact enough. But that was too naturally hated out by people who just decided, oh, well, if Mill's going to show up, I'll just play an Emrakul or something on my sideboard. And now that matchup's really good. So this Belcher deck kind of feels like a, well, I'm the best Blood Moon deck. I can turn to a Blood Moon off of Strike It Rich or a Desperate Ritual very easily. And on top of that, I only really need to resolve one spell to win because of Recross the Paths and stacking your library and all that being uh, so powerful that... I can play a full set of Veil of Summers and prey on the fact that people are only really packing a couple of like counter spells, maybe a force of negation because so much is about creatures and especially like even just the the interaction on board is about creatures that it's not really in a great place. So if all the counter magic is super man intensive and not free, then you know I can just hold off and then cast my blood my like lights out card like Blood Moon or Recross the Paths with Veil of Summer backup. Or even set myself up to resolve, recross the paths, draw my Veil of Summer, and then draw my Reforge the Soul. And like now I have this uncounterable thing. Um, and so, so it's really just well suited against the things people are currently playing. I think that will definitely continue into, into Vegas. I don't think people will adapt that quickly. But I don't think it's a deck that's like going to stay on top for that long. Yeah, it's interesting to me because it's like, so Vegas is at the time of this recording in four days, well, five days. So you have, you know, until the day of the event or whatever, and you have to get the cards together. And it is like a very weird deck. And it like kind of requires you knowing what you were doing beforehand. Like someone like a Matt Nass or a Sam Pardee could definitely pick that deck up and they would do well. And, you know, they would study it for a couple hours and they would kind of know what their recross the path stacks look like. But in general, if someone hasn't been playing the Belcher deck for a while now, I, I do question like, how efficiently they'll play it and how well like they will it will do because of that because i do think the deck is actually pretty well positioned right now and going into vegas is a little bit of a problem like i think that maybe i'll figure out some way to have like an extra card for a combo hate um because you know i think it overlaps with stuff like living in too which is nice and i'm unsure how much it will actually 
be there. It's going to be interesting to see how many people are like, yeah, no, I think this deck's just great and no one's ready for it and they're like going to pull the trigger versus like, yeah, these fair decks are really cool. They're really popular. They've been really strong. They're proven. You know, people bring a little more hate in their sideboards for Belcher. They couple, you know, a couple more things like, uh, like rule of law type effects are just not being seen in play right now at all. And those are real problems for the Belcher deck. They, they very much rely on like, having this sort of big burst in cards and mana um, and kind of getting you. And while they can fight through that sort of stuff, there are things like that and other counter spells and stuff that I think people could adapt to. And I think that's one of the interesting things about like Money Pile, which I think is maybe the best deck in a vacuum relative of like its own effect on the format. And, well, not sorry, the second best deck in a vacuum, misspoke. Um, that's the effect on the format. But will people respect Belcher? I, I don't know. And it's hard to know too. Like as someone who's... I'm playing the mid-range version of Money Pile in Vegas. That's what I'm going to play. I'm just trying to figure out my last couple sideboard slots. It's, like, pretty interesting to be like, okay, how many of these Belcher players are going to show up? And I'm probably going to need to beat a Belcher player to win this tournament, I think is kind of where I'm at. And it's like, all right, well, how much extra slots do I give that? Because the matchup isn't great, you know? So I, it, it's an interesting place to be right now in the modern metagame of trying to figure out where you want to put your points at especially going in with an in-person event where there's just so much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's really tough when like, uh, you know, especially for, if you're one of the money pile pilots, what makes that matchup so bad is like I said, your deck is entirely about battling about what has resolved and what's on the battlefield. And Belcher is entirely about fighting on the stack and you're just, you're just playing in two different realms, you know? And so yeah. finding a way to, to finding a way to have a plan that can interact in the ways that are naturally good for the rest of your game plans is really cumbersome. And like you said, you know, how many people are really going to pick up Belcher and just start playing it. But what I'll say, contrary to maybe what you're saying about people not being so inclined to or picking it up, is that when we talked about this just two weeks ago, uh, Sodek was the only person we'd really seen play Belcher. I know at least a couple of people locally who like to tinker around with those things have played some leagues with it and like given me their thoughts on them. But also, I don't think Sodek was either the people in the showcase or the challenge who just won. So... It is a thing that people are seeing and reacting to. And, you know, if you spend, if you have the time this week to really spend on learning Belcher enough to feel comfortable playing in a GP, it might just be a really good choice. Yeah, I think if you can make it through the early rounds, the kind of nonsense, you know, where you can play against anything and you can get to the winner's metagame, Belcher's really, really strong. And that's really appealing. No buys, though, for this tournament. First GP thing you like in a long time without buys. So you're going to have to battle out all 15 rounds if you're going to win it. But why, whoa, to get to the top eight, I guess so. It's going to be hard. I think that deck has some real problems against some real nonsense in the format. I know we've seen things like... The weird things have been doing really well recently. Like, second in the showcase was Merfolk with Subtlety and Archmage's Charm. And just kind of like, I'm going to disrupt you a little bit and then counter your key spell. And it, it, we talked about the Battlefield Mattering. Like, that's their game plan. And Islands are really prominent right now. So Island Walk is, like, actually just very easy for them to turn on. So, you know, that's been really cool and really strong. And that's interesting. And Hammer Time has continued to do really well, despite everyone having plans for it and everything. And I'm curious, Abe, where you're kind of at on the format. Do you think Hammer Time's still the best deck, quote-unquote? Yeah, I think that seeing the very, what, what I consider like the, the like intelligent or very winner's metagame of the showcase, seeing only one Hammer player in the top 32 is a little bit concerning because it was probably one of the more represented decks in the field, unless a bunch of hammer players have swapped that I don't know about uh, off of the deck. But I do think that the fact that hammer continues to show up in fields of hate and has continued to still has it among 
if not the best deck. It is certainly one of the most format-defining decks. Uh, and like right now, it's just so important that if you're playing this tournament that you understand what your plan for the hammer matchup is and all the little nuances and where you can get the edges because it, it just like with playing as infect you know a few years ago if you don't know those things you will be punished the the hammer players that are good will outmaneuver you and and you will you'll kick yourself for not knowing the right time to cast your lightning bolts or holy heats or fatal pushes or path exiles or subtleties or uh solitudes all these things will hurt but with where things are now, it probably the metagame is still just even more hostile, cranked up even hotter against uh, against Hammer Time. And until things kind of rotate back around, I think, as Belcher, decks like Belcher, the combo decks that require you to have a quick clock to compete with them, as those decks become better and start winning more, I think Hammer starts to take up more of that as people have to consider where it is they're giving up their points to stop losing to the combo decks. And also people stop playing so many decks that are so focused on being able to interact with a deck like Hammer. So if you're a proficient Hammer pilot, never a bad time to play the deck. That's still my feeling. You'll probably have to play a lot more of what are usually your quote-unquote bad matchups. Your your tight ones, the the fair matchups like Blue-White, uh, which are like unfavorable but winnable. Uh, Jund, which is about a coin flip. Merktide, which is like you know a little bit in your favor. Just a lot of things like that where you're not, you're not blowing anyone out of the water anymore. But if you show up with the deck and a plan, uh, you'll beat all the random stuff. And I think you will, you'll have to battle it out, but uh, you'll definitely have game against the rest of the field. So I, I, think it, I think it is still a format defining deck by the way that everyone's still interacting on the battlefield. But I think that the format is starting to kind of pull some of that pressure off of it by punishing these people for doing that. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. It is the deck with the most impact on the format, and it is probably, by that definition, the best deck. And it does beat up on everything that's not... It's all nonsense decks. It's even got a good Belcher matchup. My understanding is so deck does not like that matchup at all. Sometimes you just die on turn two, man. You're a turn three deck, and they yeah. just like play an Inkmoth Nexus and put a hammer on it. You're dead, and you're like, wow, I try. <laughs> it's it, it's hard. Yeah, and so, yeah, I, I think that deck is quite good. I do think it is very very hard to win a tournament with hammer especially one where people know what's going on so i i think it's a good deck it's hard to fault you for picking hammer and i wouldn't i just think that uh things like money pile and the four color nonsense etc and the the combo decks are a little stronger speaking of four color nonsense there's been one other pretty big development recently when it comes to the decks in the metagame and that's rhinos kind of digivolving into a four color deck uh in the hands of Doomwake. And what seemed to start as a meme turned into our dreams, as always. And the Your Rhino deck has really popped off recently. Do you have any big thoughts on it? I, I like the deck. I think it's has its perks and advantages and stuff, and I'll get more into it. But we got, I got to say, if you're at home and you're listening and you're like, wow, adding 20 cards to my Cascade deck seems really bad. The math actually works out where because you have 12 Cascaders, you actually are more likely to get there, which is a weird math fact. But if you run the numbers, it's true. So, Abe, what do you think about the Urinos deck now that we got rid of that misconception? <laughs> My biggest problem with the Urinos deck is that it feels like in a format full of full of these other four-color mid-range decks that are playing to the battlefield, you're choosing to have this game plan against the rest of the field that is just, I'm going to quickly make these four fours by cascading into them which is strong and kind of puts a question on the table for the other player to answer, which sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. 
it is a bit of a like I'm able to take the aggressor more often statement, but you lose so much in all of the matchups where you do not want to be the aggressor in that way that I'm still really low on rhinos personally. It just doesn't make sense to me why I would choose to do that if I was going to go all this way of playing a Yorian deck. But I do think that it is better off playing a more consistent package of doing its most important thing and the thing that sets it apart the most and also just affording itself more of the best interaction and stuff. So yeah, uh, it's better than the old Rhinos decks probably, but I'm still not sold on Rhinos as as a deck that I want to play. Yeah, the, the, I think the one of the biggest problems with your Rhinos is that while you did get more cards like Omnath and Solitude, etc., that like are helpful and you are up on Cascaders, so we're, we're hitting Rhinos statistically a little sooner as well, I think you still are really taxed in the early game pressure, and you're in these weird spots where with things like you play against the Money Pile deck, and your decks are very similar, except your deck has all these Cascaders and Rhinos. And so you're put into these weird spots where your deck's not really trying to do where it's like, I have to be the aggressor. I need to jam and slam and hope to push through. And while you have some things like subtlety and some force negation, stuff like that, your deck really isn't built to really fight these kind of fights. And so I think it's kind of like a good deck at the wrong time sort of thing. Where like, I think in different metagames where Money Pile isn't so prominent, you could probably play something like Rhinos. But the four color rhinos deck and be like a really good choice, but instead I think it's just like a fine choice. I think that's one of the things we talked about too is that we haven't talked about a deck so far that isn't at least a fine choice, except for maybe Merfolk. Yeah, I mean Merfolk might be a fine choice. I haven't yeah. done any of the science on it, but I haven't either. <laughs> it uh, seem to be. I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend. It. I wouldn't put my name on it. Yeah. That's. I'm not. I'm not a, a fish master. But yeah, modern is such a such a broad format right now. Um, and I think that that's, that's really awesome. And the games are all super dynamic. I played a modern 2K locally um, over the weekend. And every game was a nail biter. Except for like one where I mulled the four. It was just like, and, and I'm playing, you know, Hammer Time, which I consider the best deck in the format. And even though I felt like a lot of, a lot of the games I play, I'm favored. It's still close. My opponent still has a lot of decisions to make. I still have a lot of decisions to make. And I think that's just true across the board. So... Yeah, it's it's hard to go wrong with playing any one of the like ten decks we've talked about in the last few weeks on the podcast when we were talking about modern, uh, and especially if you feel comfortable with it and you know your plans and you know the subtlety matchups. You break it down just by category of like their key cards. Or, I keep on saying subtlety. The the solitude matchups or the hammer matchup or just the Luris mid range matchups. If you know all those things and you like you have it covered. Then, then you're good to go. Even, even like there was some Tron and some Amulet that did well uh, in the in the showcase yesterday too. It, as long as you know why it is your deck's good, like those big mana decks being good because of the fact that it goes over the top of the four color mid range decks and has a plan against everything else, it, it's very similar. If you can pick a plan for everything, your deck's probably good enough. So. Uh, yep. Merfolk might just be the best illustrator of that too. I'm sure that Merfolk player did not come in with no plans for any matchups. I'm sure they had a lot of matches and a lot of time spent figuring out why they're playing their cards and how they're going to play them. So format's great. Yeah, I agree. I really like modern a whole lot. I'm excited to play in Vegas. I'm excited to play Money Pile. Got some plans. I got some machinations. I'm ready to go. I'm excited. It's gonna be fun. I think that is gonna do it though. Our episode this week is kind of short. We, we've talked about modern a lot. And while there is, like, we could break down a lot of other things, again, the really nitty-gritty of cyborg and stuff like that, it's really not what it's a, 
about for this week. You know, we really are just trying to give like a big picture overlay. And we've kind of told you where we feel in the format and everything. And hopefully this was helpful for you. And hopefully it was quick enough and bite-sized enough if you're trying to go to that GP in particular that you're able to fit it into your schedule. There's lots of great modern content out there. There's this podcast, with Dominaria Judgment, Masters of Modern. There's so many modern things. And we hopefully we were able to help you a little bit. You can check out those if you're really voracious for more uh, information going into it. There's a lot of streamers streaming modern as well. So make sure to check all that stuff out and come back here next week for more episodes of Constructed Criticism. If you want to find Abe, you can find him on Twitter at More No Things. You can find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. I write articles each and every Thursday for Card Kingdom, focusing specifically on standard and historic. So if you want to check out those formats, there's always deck lists and stuff like that. And Abe is offering a lot of coaching recently for uh, modern stuff like that and Hammer Times. So if you want to reach out to Abe and interest that, you can do that on the Patreon. You can do that on Twitter. Just find Abe. You know He'll be happy to talk to you and figure out and do what's best for your needs there. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Constructive Criticism. We'll be back next week for another banger episode with Spencer here. He couldn't make it because of work to actually make it to Vegas, so he had to sacrifice the podcast for that. So if you see him in Vegas, say, hey, I'm glad you are able to make it and you worked extra for us. Thank you all so much, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.